my daughter would come home and said, my teacher's so mean, she flunked me because she hates me, and, and, and I did my homework, and, and I turned it in, but she said it was wrong, and on the wrong date, and I was like, okay, well, uh, let me call this your teacher. Call no, you don't need to call no, her. No, we're good. <laughs> I'm John Stevens, and this is Pod Have Mercy. Russell, this is Pod Have Mercy. Well, today we're joined by um, our fr- second repeat offender, Bill Curley, who's been on the program once before. That's right. And uh, Bill, we're so glad that you're here. Bill um, is a is a psychologist, is a pastor, is a Jungian teacher and analyst, and um, has been a a friend and mentor for a number of years. Um, and Bill, we're so glad that you you've been able to join us, and we're glad that you're here. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I didn't get my check yet. But I'm sure it's in the mail. It is in the mail. I think the last one we sent you was in the mail. It got sent back. Your address, you must have moved. I never got that one either. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, it said return to sender. I think your address was wrong. We'll get that. We'll get on that right away. That's right. But we're... Well, I, 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 I wondered when you, when you told me what we were going to talk about today that there couldn't be anybody more expert in the subject than me. That's right. Yeah. Well, what we're going to talk about today is fear. Um, and fear. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's favorite subject. Um, one of the things that John and I've been talking about is just how, kind of, just the the threshold of of this kind of a fear and terror, or has been kind of stoked among us through a number of different kind of events, both in our culture and and the way that we're kind of treat each other. But it's just it's this real almost presence that um, runs throughout our culture right now and part of what we want to do is just kind of both exegete it kind of look at it talk about it and then really um, we think that the only antidote probably to this is is some spiritual stuff that we can actually begin to to work on and to to look at so um, yeah that's what I want from you Bill I want the answer to how to make sure that you know I don't have to be afraid of anything ignorance is bliss teach me ignorance <laughs> i think fear is a good thing i think fear is a good thing if it makes us put on our seat belts and if it makes us be more careful and not put our hand in the tiger's cage that can be a good thing i think that you know there yeah. i i was being kind of a smart aleck when i said i'm an expert on this but i really came to the ministry and came into the study of psychology because the family context in which I grew up was one where I got a lot of fearful messages. Hmm. And uh, so I've, I've wondered all my life how is it that people have lived without fear? And what I've discovered is that they don't. And uh, probably the best thing to do is for us to figure out what are the things that we need to be scared of. I found out that most people are frightened about things if we're frightened about what's going to happen to our kids or people are frightened that they've done something that they can't recover from or people are afraid of all sorts of things and um what i've come to believe that the thing we need to fear most is living uh unexamined meaningless life Hmm. so that's kind of where i am with it (laughs) it it hit me the last couple of weeks because um, we are in the season in our denomination of all these annual conferences, these big meetings, yearly meetings are gathering together. And of course, you know, the United Methodist Church, we've talked about this before, is in the midst of uh, splitting or some parts are wanting to leave. Mm-hmm. And it's just 
all I hear in these meetings from the people who are wanting to leave or mm. wanting to have people join them in leaving is this, the, the selling point to my experience, and I've shared this with folks who are making these comments, is it's not a visionary, um, compelling, you know, exciting, futuristic kind of, hey, here's what the promised land looks like. It's just an overwhelming sense of fear of how horrible the current thing is, how bad it is. They're coming to get you. They're coming to take your stuff away. They're going to make you do what you won't want to do. And I hear the same thing. So, so I'm in the light of that with all that's been going on because it's been like just inundating on top of us like the last two weeks particularly. But then I'm also thinking if you watch news, which hopefully you don't, um, inflation, gas prices, um, you know, recession, stock market, uh, guns, schools, safety, and it's almost like the fear is so overwhelming for people. And I'm wondering, what is that? What is, why is fear so powerful? Why is it so pervasive in everything that seems to be happening around us in our society? Mm. And, and what do we do to, to deal with it and not let it just consume us? And like you said, there's healthy fear, Sure. right? I don't, touch you know when there's wires hanging out of the wall i don't just go up and grab them um but then there's this manufactured fear that seems to be put out there to either manipulate or coerce or craft some sort of an outcome that people want to maintain or create some kind of power um so i don't know i've just been living in this the last two weeks and that's why I told Matt to tell you to come on so you could help me process all this. This is also like free therapy session for me is what the podcast is. Uh, not only do you not get a check, but I get to test some help. So <laughs> so it's a win-win for John. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that it's really important to pay attention to the stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think about people who have done uh, courageous things um, in in our cultural life. Um, there's a there's a quote. I won't I won't get this exactly right, but it's something that, that goes like this. I I've learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear because there are things that have to be done, whether you're frightened of them or not. That is a quote mostly from Rosa Parks, the woman who refused to get up and give her seat away on the bus in Birmingham. And I think that um, a lot of the fear that's being generated in our time is a fear that comes from a story that says that there was a time in the past that was better than this, and we want to go back to that time. We're trying to preserve that time. Uh, and, and it's ironic, John, I was thinking today when I got out of my car as I was coming into the church to work today that we live in this world where things, where we're, we're caught up in this evolutionary process where things are coming together and that what wants to happen, the future that I believe that sacred mystery is pulling us into is a future where we're connected, more connected with each other. And that I think is so ironic 
that that we've gotten in the position where we're afraid of each other more than at any time that I can remember in in my life in this country. Um, you probably know that for the first time ever in the history of America, the leading cause of death in America is gun deaths. And we fix it so that we're so frightened of each other, we don't sit down and, first of all, take counsel of our fears about why am I afraid of my next door neighbor? And second of all, is there some way that I can sit down and talk to my next door neighbor and figure out the things that we have in common so that we don't have to be frightened of each other? We're, uh, we're afraid, we're afraid if we sit down and have a conversation with our next door neighbor, they might shoot us. Well, that's that's a sad thing. Mm. Mm. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I think like a... like now, even just driving on the interstate, I used to be an aggressive driver, and I'm a very defensive driver now because in Houston, yes. you know, people just shoot people for like yep. cutting in front of them or yep. not letting them in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I think you're right, Bill. There is this story that fear tells, right? I mean, there is a... So fear... Fear where it helps us, like you said, kind of in a sense to be protected so that we might have life. There's a we we now um, don't have, you know, we're not we're not fighting for our lives in so many ways. You know, now that we're kind of living in suburbs and in homes and not having to kind of eat what we kill. And so I think the stories that we tell ourselves about each other and about our own futures or about our pasts end up then kind of being the coal that kind of stokes all of this right and um if i think particularly as john you and i've talked about either on facebook or twitter or 24-hour news feeds we're getting all of this kind of material that says be very afraid it's not going to work out it's all going to to fall apart right and that's the I, that's the main kind of at least that's the main story that's being told um and it's I think we have we're we're kind of in epic ep, epidemic proportions when it comes to um, kind of the the amount of fear that we've ingested. Yeah. Well, one one of the guys, and I know that both of you know this man, uh, Brian McLaren. He's a guy that I've paid attention to for a long period of time, and I've watched Brian McLaren make a shift from being on the right evangelical Christian man being now he's on the faculty of Richard Orr's Living School and he's written a number of books the latest of which I confess I've not read about uh, should I stay or should I go when it comes to the church. Brian McLaren wrote a book um, a couple years ago called Faith Beyond Doubt and in that book he references two other of his little booklets that if I had a magic wand I would make every American read. One of the books is called The Next Pandemic, and that next pandem pandemic is authoritarianism. And one of the things that he suggests in dealing with that is pay really, really careful attention to what you listen to on the media. And the other little book that he wrote is Why Don't They Get It?, which is a book about the kinds of biases that we can all be subject to in understanding new information that comes to us. And um, if I understand correctly, we, you know, I don't listen to the news. Now, I, I, I do listen to uh, the main 
if I do listen to the news, I probably listen to CBS or ABC and NPR, but I don't listen to cable network news because it's not good for me. And uh, they're trying to sell me on either a very liberal agenda or a very conservative agenda, and I don't need that. So I'll, I'll try to stay away from that, and I really try to talk to people if they will talk to me about what, where they get their information and what their biases are. So I'm with you, John. I don't drive on the freeways if I can avoid it. Yeah, it's just I, I, I was wondering, I was reading an article um, that I found just about fear and social control. And it, it got me diving into it, uh, like I said, in the last two weeks, just watching um, things happening just denominationally, but also then in the news, you know, now. Like just in the past couple of days, the stock market, you know, mm-hmm. tanking. And now they said, okay, now we're in a, a bear market or now we're in a recession or now we're in this or inflation is coming back. They're going to raise interest rates. And you hear all the, the tension going up, 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 up. And the criticism between, uh, you know, partisan uh, parties. And one of the things this, this thing uh, it was interesting to me said that, that you know, that there's imagined fears of our own making. Um, many are the consequences of narratives that we created uh, or that were, came out of our history. But he said then also there are a lot of things that are happening around us that are created by people who are in positions of power, mm-hmm. individuals who are looking to take advantage of and manipulate others, and they understand the power of fear. And I'm just wondering, you know, I, it seems to me that we used to have a culture where we would disagree and we'd sit down and we would debate and then at the end of the day, we'd go out and have a beer together. You even used to see that in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. But now it's almost like the, the agenda or the goal is to create as much fear as possible with your followers and to, to, to separate people farther and farther apart. There's no connectivity. There's no connective tissue. We've lost any uh, ability to be curious and ask, hey, tell me why you think that way. Yeah. We don't even do that anymore no, no. Um, because we're not connected. I don't know if COVID's a part of that, but I mean, you know, I always learned, I know enough about uh, psychology to be dangerous, but I always learned that, you know, these fears that we have always come out of some childhood experience. You know, as kids, we were afraid, mm-hmm. but I've started reading this book, uh, Fear by, is it uh, Thich Nhat Hanh? Thich Nhat Hanh. Yeah. It's a great book. Well, and this is the first section. He talks about sitting down, talking to his young self. You know, or he, he's his young self and saying, hey, I'm scared. Somebody's going to leave me alone. I'm scared that someone's not going to love me. I, I'm scared. Yeah. And he goes, and then my adult self says to him, it's going to be okay. It's going to be, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I'll take care of that. And I'm thinking, that's a great, yeah. great model. Yeah. 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 And Thich Nhat Hanh is somebody, I'm glad I to hear him. you mention that book. It's a wonderful book. And he has this metaphor also, whether it's in that book or somewhere else where he, he says, when fear comes knocking on the door, you want to be in a position where you can open the door and welcome fear in and say, come in and have a cup of tea and I'll take good care of you. Um, he has the same thing about anger, so that we are taking care of our, our anxiety and our anger and not allowing it to run us. And I think of Thich Nhat Hanh, I think of Nelson Mandela, uh, I think of the Dalai Lama as people who all have lived in context where there has been great political turmoil, great loss, 
of homeland and security, and yet these men have been able to maintain a stance of equanimity and joy and happiness in spite of their outward circumstances. And um, I read John Meacham, the historian from Vanderbilt, and he says that we are as close to losing our democracy as we can be. Uh, I see what's going on in the Methodist church and it, it breaks my heart to see a denomination that calls itself United Methodist splintering apart. <laughs> and I'm pretty helpless to do much of anything about any of that. But I do feel like I have a responsibility where I show up in life not to contribute to that fear with some sort of, oh my God, the sky is falling. We've got to figure out a way still to love one another and to be responsible to each other and to try to be responsible citizens. And in the case of the Methodist, mm. to be responsible Methodists, to stand up for what we think is true and right in spite of what's going on in the outer world. Mm. Now, that may sound naive, but it's the best I can offer. Mm. Mm. It seems that that's what Jesus does all the time as well in the midst of all the turmoil as he says, peace, right? <laughs> he continues to say to the things that would uh, make us afraid or terrorize us that there's an alternative narrative um, called community, um, called what, the kingdom of God, right? Um, that this alternative way of of speaking to what the empire might say. Oh, if you don't, if you do these things or don't do these things, um, then your life is going to end up like this. Where you know Jesus says, "You heard, you heard it said this way." Let me tell you this, right? And there seems to be an alternative narrative that Jesus is constantly pointing towards, right? Um, and I think it's important. That we not lose that, or or at least we not get hijacked in our own denomination, you know that's one of the things I've I've watched you do, John, in our own denomination is is kind of cut through both of the polared kind of craziness and say actually um, that stuff is just that stuff is stoking flames that are about about disruption, and this is what God calls us to. And I think we have to reclaim our story as Christians and not give it over to the spirit of an age that would want to divide and conquer us. Uh, I, 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 let me jump in and just say something that may sound very self-serving. I've been doing a, a deep dive into the Gospel of John in my study here at, uh, that I teach here. And the, the Gospel of John was written by a community of people mm -hmm who had caught a vision of what the empowering community that Jesus envisioned was. And it was a community of equality. It was a community of fearlessness. It was a community of joy. And they held on to that vision. And as a consequence of that, they got extruded from their Jewish synagogue. And I thought, what a parallel there is between what's going on now in the United Methodist Church with those who've caught a vision of more inclusivity against those who say, no, we want to pull back to something else. And there is this division, there's this divisiveness. And yet the, the people who were in the Gospel of John, the, the, the created the Gospel of John, held on to that vision. Mm. 
they knew that there was something valuable in their past that got them to where they are or where they were and they also got it that there was something that was pulling them forward into a future that they had not yet embraced mm-hmm. and you know i i love america i it saddens me to think that the fantasy of this country that i grew up with with in the 40s and 50s maybe coming to an end but what i know is that not everything lasts things come to an end and it's the process it's the evolutionary process that things get to a point of complexity where they seem to shred apart but then they come back together and i think those of us who value those traits of love and honesty and freedom have got to maintain those the message about those and stories yes. about those regardless of what's going on around us yeah yeah no i totally agree i think the the hard part is to figure out how to how to um would you say i mean so you said earlier at the beginning that we always have fear at work so is 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 it about managing fear is it about coping or is there some way to overcome fear or are there certain like you said there's certain fears that are good uh that protect mm-hmm. you and protect your yeah. children protect your family but then there are, like you said, manufactured fears that are trying to coerce or manipulate, and and how I guess how do you how do you cope with it or manage it in a way that doesn't overwhelm you? That's the other thing you know as well as anybody. I mean, the mental health um, issues that we face now post COVID. I was I would say we had them before, but man, they're through the roof now when it comes from yeah. children all the way up to senior adults. Hmm. Well, uh, John, you mentioned this earlier, and I, w- I w- would like to leave room for us to talk about this more. I don't think that we have yet come to terms with the huge price that we have paid for COVID. I think that we're still dealing with that and trying to get our churches back, trying to get attendance back, trying to get people to feel safe with one another. Um, when we've gone through this time of I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to get inoculated. All that, all that sort of thing. So we can, we can come back to that. I, I have heard it said, and I'm guilty of saying this myself, that one of the most frequent phrases in the Bible is "fear not." As a psychologist, I can tell you that telling somebody who's scared not to be frightened is senseless. <laughs> that does no good. So if somebody's frightened, the, the, the thing to do is to accept that fear and to begin to examine that and to provide some sort of container that doesn't allow that fear to get out of control. The, the scriptures do say, both in the Hebrew scriptures and in the Christian Testament, fear not, fear not, fear not, over and over. And there's also a line in there that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's a line in there that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So I think that it's a matter of being being frightened or anxious about the appropriate things, um, about things that I can do something about and about things that I have, um, that express values that matter to me in my own life. Hmm. Um, I'm not afraid of the monster under the bed, but I am afraid that I, I'm, might do something that causes me 
uh, not to live a meaningless life. You know, I wonder too. In in when we were talking about fear, that there's that response that that psychologists call the fight or flight response, right? And that we're we seem to be caught in that loop of fight or flight within our own kind of culture. And I think that the spiritual life um, um, summons us to tend and befriend um, those things that um, those those voices that um, that that stoke the fear. Like you had said earlier, Bill, I think that when Jesus says make friends with your enemies along the way, what happens when you've made you kind of done your own internal work and you realize the deepest enemy you have is this this fear or anxiousness that you're living with, right? And and there are probably neurobiological kind of um, um, connectors to that. There were medication can help, and I think that all those though um, give us a chance to to welcome that in to say um, under the presence of I think good and wise counsel. How do you nurture? How do you recognize? Um, allow and nurture that those voices in your life so that they don't run your life. Because I think what fear often does is it wants to sublimate. It wants to tell a story, but it wants to be a shadow, right? Um, but if we can, like you had said, open up the door and allow that to come in and to have tea with it and say, w- who are you? <laughs> Where is this coming from? What does this want from me? That's a different response. And I think that part of the spiritual life allows us to be curious about that, right? Where does my fear come from? Yeah, and and, and I think also, man, it, it recognizes that I can't do this by myself that we need to be in community with each other to do this to talk about the stories that we're telling is one of my mentor teachers carlo marty said years ago have somebody in your life that you can submit yourself to your self-image to for correction so i think that Mm -hmm. having a spiritual director being part of a study group a faith group a spiritual growth group this this is very important for people and especially in a time and this is one of the ways that COVID has affected us. We have become so granulated. We have become so isolated from each other that we're not able to have conversations like this with our next door neighbors and with, with other people. And, and that kind of conversation, that kind of storytelling is very important. All right, so I have a, a practical example, or at least one. I know in the, in the last couple of weeks, you know, as I said, I've been going, spending a lot of time in Methodist meetings. And um, I'll hear people get up and they'll say, oh, these bishops are horrible and they're doing this, 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 and they're charging this and they're doing this and they're saying this and they're horrible and they're breaking the rules. And, and I thought to myself, man, there's a choice you can make here. You can be an right. active truth seeker or you can be a passive uh, propaganda um, receiver. Right, so you can just sit there passively and hear someone make these statements about people and believe it, and you either get afraid or you activate it or manipulate. Of course, so I so there was something said about a bishop recently, and in another area of the U.S. and they said this bishop's doing A, B, C, and D, and I thought to myself, and I heard all these people go, "Oh my gosh, it's horrible! It's horrible! It's horrible!" So I did something that's really I know this is going to seem really strange and alien to most people. I'd picked the phone up. Called the bishop? And I called this particular <laughs> bishop, right? And I said, hey, uh, I heard, or it's being said, that you did A, B, C, or D, and are make it really hard on these people who want to leave. And this bishop said, well, that's not true. 
and they unpacked for me what had happened and where the rumor may have come from and that you know there was a recommendation but it never made it and it was voted out and so it never passed and it was never there and it's not not true and i thought you, we talk about curiosity yeah. and that's the one thing in this there's another article it's like what is the opposite of fear and they go through all these different things and this one particular author says the opposite of fear is knowledge and understanding which begins with curiosity and yeah, I liked it. And I thought that's all that's what I've always tried to do. It's like even though they'll they'll yeah. say they tell you these stories about all the horrible things that are happening. I'm like, "Well, let's let's roll our sleeves up and let's call this person that you're talking about right here as if they don't exist uh, or call this bishop or call this person and say, "Hey, uh, is this happening? And if so, what's the rationale? What's going on? You know, what's the yeah. motive?" And I've learned a lot. Um now, of course, I'm not coming at this starting with the fear but i wonder how many people just become passive receptive you know they're 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 passive propaganda receivers something is said they take it it instills the fear in them but they never test it right mm -hmm. they never yeah, ask right. a question about yeah. it they never they never say with with so much mistruth in the world it's crazy to me how if someone that is on your team says something you never mistrust them I mistrust everybody. I don't care if you're on my team or not. I'm gonna investigate. I wanna know the truth. I mean, just because you may be on my team and I like you and you say something like, hey, this is true. I, I don't just go, oh, hey, guess what I heard, it's true. I go, I might need to call that person they're talking about and just double check and make sure it's true. Maybe it's because I was a history and philosophy major in college, you know, you had to do historiography it was one of your classes in your junior year, which is where you just have to go get, Check you have to dig through uh, tertiary, secondary resources to get to primary resources, you know, primary to voices, to just verify <laughs> what people are saying about history. It's like being a parent, right? You just have to verify it. Yeah, can, if yeah. I had, if I had, let me just tell you how many times my daughter would come home and said, my teacher's so mean, she flunked me because she hates me and, <laughs> And, and I did my homework and, and I turned it in, but she said it was wrong and on the wrong date. And I was like, okay, well, uh, let me call this your teacher. Her. No, you don't need to call no, her. No, we're good. <laughs> teacher's like, and, the, and of course, according to my daughter, the teacher's like this rah, monster, right? I call the teacher, she goes, oh, hi, Mr. Stevens. She said, your daughter's so wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> she missed the deadline, but I told her I'd give her another week. And, and then she didn't make that deadline. And, and I'm willing to give her more time. And I'm like, oh my Lord. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm ranting now. Well, you know, the, the, what, you, what you cite is right on target because uh, I'm reading a book right now called How Democracies End, and one of them is by misinformation. And we, although conspiracy theories have been around since Homo sapiens started speaking, <laughs> we now have the media to make conspiracy theories spread like wildfire. And um, I have a story for you about that. Somebody told me about a conspiracy theory. And here's something that's really interesting to me, that a lot of the conspiracy theories that are out there are fueled by people who are really smart and really articulate. And so they have the persuasive power to get people on their bandwagon. And the one that I heard about two weeks ago is that this very smart, smart person went to a, an acquaintance of mine with this conspiracy theory that was about how Anthony Fauci, among others, had been responsible for COVID. 
because it was a way to help them make money from the vaccines that would be eventually sold to people. And the way that my colleague interfaced with this is that he happens to know somebody who knows Anthony Fauci well enough to call him Tony. And their kids are buddies with each other. And he happened to say to this this person who was getting a, a conspiracy theory going, said, let me tell you something about Tony Fauci that I know about him because our children played baseball together. That's not true. And it just killed it right there. So I think that if we can get correct information in the faith, like you did of picking up the phone and calling a bishop, that's, a, that's one way that we can mm. do this. Mm. Yeah, I think it's pervasive too. There was a, in the mm. news recently, uh, is it, um, I, I don't listen to him, but you might be surprised. Uh, Alex Jones, uh, oh, the yeah. Infowars been in the news yeah. because uh, he's been, there's this group, I think, from the school in the, uh, the um, shooting from years ago, when lawsuit with him, and all this stuff is coming out from the people who work for him at Infowars, and they're just basically, yeah, none of this stuff we say is true. We know it's not true. He knows it's not true because now they're under oath, you know, yeah. uh, and, and they're having to. But he's making it. so much money. But they're making a bunch of money. Yeah, I mean, he also got sued. Uh, he he lost the lawsuit that the people in Stony Brook. Stony, Stony Brook, yeah, yeah, that's what I was trying to remember. Where the were those killings took place? He 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 was sued by the parents of those children, and he lost. So uh, and. You know, if there's one of the things that the January 6th commission hearings are telling us over and over and over and over and over is that the former administration was just full of lies. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the thing, too. It's, um, that's, that's another thing. I mean, all, all of this stuff is just stokes fear in people. It builds more um, distrust. And it just seems like the partisanship, as the partisanship gets uh, greater, and the tribalism gets stronger and we move farther and farther into our own corners. You know, you don't have two parties anymore. You almost have four parties. You know, there's like two Republican parties and right. two Democrat parties. And even within their own parties, they use this fear against, against themselves um, to try to keep people in yeah. line. And again, it goes back to power. And I'm, I, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to flesh out for me is that natural that natural tendency to of fear that's helpful versus identifying and being able to understand when fear is pro cropping up in me for some nefarious motive right to get me to become something i was not created to be if you think about to be the fullness of who you're called to be you know perfect uh, in telios mm -hmm. living into your fullness um it's like fear is like the number one tool that's used to keep you from being stunt your growth what you were created to be yeah yeah to stunt you yeah to keep you incomplete yeah yeah it feels like we need to figure out how to operationalize love if perfect love casts out all fear then how do you operationalize love in the way you're talking about john which is you know you you become curious that's a part of love right um, you you tend and befriend that with uh, with folks that you trust and that you can walk with you you uh, what is you know I, I, I really think that that connection is the antidote to fear 
right? Because if, if you're right, Bill, that fear isolates and atomizes us and granulates us into kind of these beings that are alone ultimately, that what we have to do is continue to create bridges and pathways out of that for deeper connection, right? Um, because it really is, as Brene Brown says, it's hard to hate people close up, hmm. right? If I'm talking with you, if I'm, if I'm sharing a meal with you, I mean, these things we have to return to, and I think the church has to become just singularly focused on how to do that, how to create connection, right? Um, yeah, and, and, and at that level, I really truly believe that the anecdote to fear has to do with the stories that we tell each other in these intimate connections, mm-hmm. stories about who I am, yeah. who I think you are, and what we want together and how how can we work to make that happen? Yeah. So what what advice do you? Because I, I I do want to come back because you you seem to have some passion around the the COVID uh, residual. I want to ask you about that. But what what word do you give to people who? I mean, I I know a lot of people right now just live in a constant state of fear. I've even felt that in my own life over the past year, where sometimes, I mean, I know I'm in a good spot. I'm, I'm better than I've been in, in a long time. COVID, I was in a bad place and I kind of came out of it. But there are moments when I'll be sitting at home at night and it's like something's heavy on my chest. Mm. And I just, I know it's anxiety. I know it's, it's a fear, but I can't name it. Does that make sense? I don't know what it is. It's just like when you're driving in, in the wide open spaces of Texas and you see miles in front of you a storm cloud and so it's out there on the horizon it's not on top of you and you don't even know what it is and what it's going to manifest <laughs> and what direction it's headed yeah <laughs> it may not even be heading your direction yeah you don't know but you know what i'm saying and i'm sure you've probably dealt with people that feel like that as well and i think a lot of people who listen to this where they are probably are dealing with that where they there's some anxiety some fear but i can't name it you know they always talk about you said create a container to not let it become too much so that you can sort of manage it. But what happens when you can't name it, when you can't define it, when you don't really know what it is, but you know it's there? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and this is just my take on this, I think that what we're dealing with is a massive amount of grief. Mm-hmm. That we, and we, we are going through the, the end of something Maybe the end of COVID, we never know. So there's a lot of anxiety with that. We keep hearing about new variants and you need to be scared. The hospitals are starting to fill up again and that sort of thing. But we've lost so much because of COVID. And we're in this period where there is a kind of disorientation. There is a kind of uh, disillusionment, uh, disenchantment. Uh, We're not sure what's next. the people who come into my office to talk to me, they either come for issues of counseling or spiritual direction. And I would say the last month, there's not been, and particularly the last, this week, everybody has had something to say about politics and about the economic situation. Yeah, Everybody has talked, even people who have no interest in the stock market, I didn't think are, it started their sessions by saying to me, what do you think about what's going on in the stock market? Well, I don't know a lot about what's going on, except I heard that it's kind of a bull market. Um, 
So I don't, I can't do anything about that. But I think, <laughs> I think we're we are still paying a price for COVID. I know that that um, in 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 my own relationship with the church here and the teaching I do and the community that I was once speaking to, that community doesn't exist anymore. Uh, we're trying to reform, we're trying to reconnect, but I don't know that we will ever, ever get back to what we, what we had before COVID. Uh, and there's some grief in that. There's some sadness about that. There are people wondering about, okay, if we're not going to do that, what is it going to look like? And frankly, I don't think we know yet. Uh, I don't know what you guys have done at Chapelwood, but at St. Paul, we went from three pretty vibrant, vital services a week to one. And now we're back to two. And I had somebody complain to me last week saying, gee, I wish we were back doing three services. And I said, we don't have the people to do three services. We, <laughs> we can't don't do that. We, we don't have enough and, to do three and we do three. <laughs> and, 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 uh, I could feel how disappointed they were about yeah. that. And there's nothing I can do about that. And so that's just one of the consequences of COVID that we're yet to get on the other side of. Um, people have lost a lot. Parents of young children have lost, lost a lot in terms of schooling and their kids' social abilities and social skills. It's cost us a lot. Uh, not not economically it's cost us a lot emotionally and spiritually bill you said it's it's um uh, it's it's really grief work that we need to do and i wonder like it feels to me that it's easier to get angry than it is to get sad because because when i get angry it feels like i'm doing something i'm, I'm fighting against something right um but mm -hmm. but as a as a culture and as a people, I, I don't think we were ever taught how to lament or how to, how to, if we are in this liminal space between what was and what is, and that creates a lot of, of disruption and a lot of fear inside of us to stop and to say, you know, what we really need to do as a culture is just to grieve, grieve who we are right now. Grieve, you know, like that's, that's not going to get a lot of airplay. But if you say to a person, it's really those people's fault, or that's what we need to be afraid of, it feels like that my fear is actually doing something when it's actually not doing anything, right? It's keeping me um, locked down rather than opened up. Now, this may be uh, a self-invitation to do another podcast with you because there's a topic on the table that we've not addressed and that's the whole issue of gun violence in this culture mm. and i i have said and people might take issue with this but if the if the united states were an individual and the individual and this individual went for a psychiatric evaluation the diagnosis would be we're psychotic as a culture because we have this element in us that is killing us, killing our babies, killing our children, and we do not have the collective will to do anything about it. Hmm. And we tell a story somehow that mass shootings are 
This is the price we are willing to pay for our freedoms. Maybe that's another podcast. Definitely another podcast. I think the difficulty for people across the spectrum as someone who grew up in the deep South and is, you know, there's a, there's a right, you know, there's a right to own a gun and then there's a right to like, the, the part part of our society, what I think people don't understand, if you go back and look the whole understanding of, you know, just social contract or Hobbesian, you know, philosophy of, you know, we, we actually give up certain freedoms in order to live in a controlled, civilized society. We pay police officers to pull us over and write us a ticket when we run a red light, yeah, right? So that we don't just do whatever we want to do. And I think that's where we have let this thing get out of check on the second amendment. You know, I agree in, in the, with the constitution and the rights that we have, but every one of them has to ha- has to be balanced. There's a, ch- there's a check and balance in all of this. That's, that's the mm-hmm. fundamental identity of our constitution is we are a system based on due process and checks and balances. So whenever we have a right that we think should never be checked, <laughs> then we are operating, I think, outside of what the American ideal was established to be. And I think that's what's happened is that we're almost, um, we, we throw the Constitution around a lot. We're getting into politics. We're going to get in trouble. We'll get, uh, <laughs> s- send your emails to Jeff Wood <laughs> at or to Chapel Bill Wood or Bill Curley. Yeah. Um, Even better. But I think, we're, I think we're just naming some big issues that are realities before us is that you know, we live in a society now where we've lost that check. We want all the freedom without any of the limitations. Yeah. But that's not what America is right. or what we've ever been. Um, you know, when you think Absolutely. about, yeah, when you think about um, federal branch and states' rights and courts, there's always this limit. There's always a limitation you're going to run into. But it's for some reason now there's a certain aspect of our culture that thinks that we should get all of the freedom that we want and never have to deal with any limitation. And I just, I, I struggle understanding that because that's not, that's not the pure sort of distillation of what our framers had in mind. Mm-hmm. And it's a really almost like an so, adolescent uh, response too, right? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, before I go, can I, can I give my 60 minute summation, a 60 second summation? Yeah, do it. Um, I, I, I think that the, the the root of the fears that we are trying to talk about uh, is that either people that feel that they're not good enough or that somebody they know is not good enough. That it's, it had to do with a power struggle between people or peoples, and we're, we've gotten in a position where we are either afraid of each other or we feel the need that to be powerful or no, or we're powerless with each other, and the solution to that is spiritual. I grew up in a in a evangelical, benignly fundamentalist church that told me a very mixed message. The message was, God loves you, but there's something wrong with you. Hmm. And that something wrong with you can only be fixed if you accept our plan of salvation. And even then, there was some question about it. After I accepted it, I never felt sick incredibly secure and the message is that god loves you that we're all loved and we're loved by god and and uh, a book that i'm revisiting is a is a book on the book of joy 
which is a book, a series of dialogues between Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. And they said the solution to our problem is educational, and, and I would say it's spiritual, but the educational solution that they meant is that every person needs to be taught that every other person is a person of worth. And if we could embrace that, we'd stop being scared of each other. We'd stop killing each other. That's awesome. So that's my and that's biblical. Two cents on, yeah. I mean, that's biblical. That's that Je- biblical. that's Jesus. And when we talk about proclaiming Jesus and bringing people to Jesus and having Jesus become our model for the way that we live our life and run our church and run our day to day operations and way we relate to people, I mean, that's what it is. Is you know, fundamentally, we don't see every single other person as worthy of being loved as much as I'm worthy of being loved. That's right. And That's so right. that breeds a lot of anger. And that, 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 that message contributed to the first actual age. And we call it the, the golden rule or whatever you want to call it that came around the world but grew up in, in the Hebrew prophets and something that Jesus embraced and taught. It was the genius of his, of his teaching. And I think the second actual age, which we hopefully could be in it's going to be the result of embracing that message again that every person is a person of worth and should be treated that way mm. so i think that's the takeaway learn to love every single person as god loves every single person and then we won't be afraid mm. i wish it was that easy bill you're a kind soul okay. thanks for being with us we love you, man. Love you, oh, I love early. doing this, and I'll, I'll expect a check in the morning. All right, it's coming. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> On it's snail its mail. <laughs> Bye. God bless. Yeah, this article I, I was mentioning is talking about what is the opposite of fear? You know, is it courage? Is it bravery? And they're like, well, that's not, because you can be courageous and brave and still be afraid. Mm-hmm. So it's not the opposite of fear. Um, is faith the opposite of fear? Um, well, you can have faith and still doubt you can have faith and still be afraid until the danger is gone right Right. so faith is not the opposite of fear what about control power right people think if i can just be in control can alleviate the fear and this goes back to if you have a more conservative well richard war says grief uh, the conservatives manifest it more with fear and i think that's rooted also if we can control things if we can get a control on everything kind of lock it down and lock it in so that we kind of know what we're managing you know, uh, and, and, and nothing else is changing. Let's get it all tacked down. No more change control. But what he says here is, you know, when we deal with fear, um, by control, it's really not the opposite of fear. It's, it's a way of, of manipulating the fear. I mean, the the fear is still there, even in control. He says, (laughs) what about calm contentedness happiness and joy is that the opposite of fear and he says well he goes these things only show up in the absence of fear <laughs> so they're not the opposite of fear it's the um, absence of you know it. It, it, you might have already figured out how to deal with fear subconsciously and you have joy and you're happy uh you know stoicism which is indifference i just don't care it's like people say, I don't really care what okay. people think about me. That's stupid. That's, yeah. Everybody cares what yeah. people think about them. Um, <laughs> denial is the opposite of fear, but denial just delays fear. Ignorance, ignorance is bliss until 
you remember what you're supposed to be afraid until it's of. not. <laughs> yeah. And so what he says in this article is that the opposite of fear is knowledge and understanding, which begins with curiosity, initiates investigation, leads you to learning, which in turn creates knowledge. Um, he talks about the remember the crocodile hunter Steve Irwin, I love that and guy. he's like um, Steve Irwin didn't just walk into Australian uh, you know wilderness and pick up the first venomous snake that he saw. He studied. He learned what it was. He studied their traits. He studied their characteristics. Fell he learned about their strengths and their weaknesses, and he operated from a position of knowledge. Now that didn't help him when he was swimming with the stingrays or whatever it was that ended up getting him. But man, he used to pick these things up. He'd say, this is the most dangerous venomous snake venomous in the world. In the world. Let's it. pick it up and play oh, look with at it. it. Oh, it's got close to biting me there. I think you were like, you were more like a British pirate. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> than an Australian. I don't think it was Australian as much as yours was kind of like, yours were like a British pirate. I'm going to come loot your ship there, man. <laughs> Yeah, Australia. Okay. The easiest the way to learn how to per, the easiest way to speak Australian is turn all your A's into I's. David. David. Hello, David. Hello, David. David. Well, this has been fun. I don't know. I don't know. If we solved everything about fear, but at least I mean having a conversation about it. I think the, the, the if and if nothing else comes out of this, what I would say to people that always always pay attention as to who's the messenger is. Yeah. Right. And if you're watching cable news there's a bias yes there is and if you say no there's not a bias i'm like then you're I'm in calling bull, bull crap malarkey. i'm calling bull crap on that because it just is it, it yeah. just is and there is no pure unencumbered news source so that's fine so you have to give yourself the opportunity to watch and listen to different ones and what's interesting is some if someone only watches like one particular news source and i say we well, should have been 15 minutes a day watching <sighs> the opposite it's like i can't do that I, I couldn't stand it i just couldn't do it i'm like okay well you have you have just now told me that you're not very not only not curious you're not open to knowledge and understanding right, right. because that's part of what dialogue is is to yes. be in conversation with people that are the different way of seeing the world right uh, or a different way of interpreting scripture or a different way of yeah. of living life and that's part of what's going to get us past fear is to reconnect and to have conversations to be curious about each other to go sit down you know, that's one of the things in the last couple of weeks i see people talking past each other mm. you know and and i don't see them sitting down saying hey I know you feel really strongly about this particular issue as it relates to the church or this or whatever. Talk, I want to I understand where you're coming yeah, from. Tell me about that. And would you be willing to hear kind of where I'm coming from? I, I just don't see a lot of that. Yeah, that would change the world. I think, I think you're right. That's, the, that's a word that you and I have thrown around for the last year and a half, which is curiosity. And I think it is the most important spiritual practice that we could be cultivating in this time. All right. Well, um, hey, make sure you go and subscribe to whatever channel you're listening to us on, whether it's your podcast or your YouTube or whatever it is. Make sure you like, leave a comment, but make sure it's kind and generous <laughs> and loving. Uh, yeah, we don't like. I mean, we just talked about this being That's curious right. and kind. Come right. on, <laughs> cut us a break. But if you do that, it kind of helps the podcast go along. Um, we're right. kind of hit and miss in the summer because of travel schedules and everything else. But Jeff and Matt are going to be going to Summit, which is a really big, awesome youth uh, mission work. And you're going yep. to Lake Charles, we are Louisiana. Next week we'll be there, and we're actually going to be interviewing Brian McLaren, who um, Bill mentioned next I'm week. I'm sorry, I'm going to miss that. We are too. But you're I'll be in the be, old country. 
you'll be like taking a group from we our are church. taking a group from the church a much smaller group than originally uh signed up to the passion play in Gal, which happens once every 10 years 12 years in this case of covid um it was supposed to be <laughs> in 2020 but it got moved to 2022 so i'm excited yeah we're going with a group uh, chapelwood and a group from st luke's we're all going together about 80 or 90 of us uh, together. So Tom Pace will be on that. And Michelle, oh, wow. Michelle Manuel will be on that. Group. Oh, that's so, great. That's yeah. going to be a great group yeah. of folks. So have a good time. It'll be fun. Wonderful. So anyway, so uh, make sure you follow all that and then uh, check in with us during the summer and we'll be back pretty soon with more regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> well, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Hello, neighbor. How are you? Really want to shower you with love. Neighbor, how are you? Really wanna challenge you to love.